The wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time. But it was a beginning. Hello and welcome. This is The Wind Was a Beginning, a podcast where three nerdy friends sit down and talk about The Wheel of Time by Robert Jordan. This is Season 1, Episode 1, Fantastic Villain Behavior. My name's Steven. I'm Michelle. I'm Justin. Please stick around with us as we discuss the prologues for The Eye of the World, Ravens, and Dragon Mount. Okay, guys. So I absolutely love this series, and I'm super excited to have you guys joining me uh, so we can just talk about this. Uh, I <laughs> All right. All right. I have uh, been in love with the series since I was introduced to it when I was a young teenager. Uh, and with the new show coming out, I was really excited to try and uh, dive in with some good friends to kind of dissect this and go along and just work our way through this wonderful series that I love. Um, Stephen, I have to ask though, how did you both, because I know you said you guys have been friends since third grade. How did you both find out about the wheel of time? Because I know I compared this to how obsessed I am, or at least definitely was with Harry Potter. And, you know, I found out through the scholastic book fair that Harry Potter had come out. Like, did people really talk about this in in, uh, in high school or middle school, like the Wheel of Time? So, not so much. Um, I was actually introduced to it um, by, at the time, uh, the current youth minister at our church. Yeah. Uh, and so he introduced me to the series, um, I think just kind of because he had enjoyed the series. And so he lent me the first book, and I just hit the ground running with it. I fell in love with it and just uh, borrowed most of them from him. The ones he didn't have, I sought out at the bookstore, the library, and just went through them until I hit the end. And then I started over again, and I've been doing it ever since. Yeah, I know he I, I felt think, amazing. Yeah, I think um, it was around it was around the time that the uh, Lord of the Rings movies were coming out. And so there were actually a, a number of us who were, you know, I, I had been reading Harry Potter for um, ever, probably since uh, seventh grade. But uh, this was kind of my first Lord of the Rings was kind of my first venture into high fantasy. And this kind of came along uh, kind of on, on the on the pigtails of the tales of that uh, introducing us to that series. And it was about the same time, Stephen, that uh, we were both introduced around the same time um, by, by Corey together. Yeah, I think so. Uh, it was us, and then uh, we had a co- couple other friends that uh, got into the book, and we all kind of yeah. were reading them along at the same time. It was kind of fun. We'd have, uh, I remember a couple times uh, in the summers after the summer after that, like we were at a camp and we were all hanging out. Uh, everybody else was off doing something, and us nerds were hang- <laughs> sitting around just talking about all our theories about what's happening here and how this character's doing that. And, uh, uh, just good times, good memories. <laughs> yeah. But I, I definitely think you went a little bit further than the rest of us. Uh, how, <laughs> t- tell have. me, tell me how many times have you read the entire series now? Uh, so the entire series I have read four times. Wow. Uh, the 
first let's, half. Let's, let's, let's let everyone know how many books are in this series. <laughs> so, how many? Uh, how many of these thousand plus page books are in this series? So the main Wheel of Time uh, series is is fourteen books. There is a fifteen books that is the prologue. I mean the uh, prequel. There is a fifteenth book as the prequel, but the main series is fourteen books. Um, so I have reread the first nine considerably more times than four. Um, I think I have probably made it through the first nine books another three to four times just on those. Wow. Um, just because for a long time, that was all I had. <laughs> uh, right. It took a while because this is a series that started in 1990 uh, and didn't finish. Oh, goodness. It was around for quite a while before it finally came to a close. Um, unfortunately, even past the life of its original author. Um, so we didn't get the, the final book in the series until 2013. So uh, it took quite some time, 23 I, years. I feel like you guys are actually, I think it's fortunately past the life of the actual author. So, some of us are still here waiting on like book three of some of these series out here so i would be so grateful if someone else took over for some of these books yeah i i say unfortunately because i wish he had been able to finish the series himself uh the the author that was chosen brandon sanderson uh to finish the series is another one of my favorites i was really happy with the choice um but at the same time as a fan of Robert Jordan himself, I do always in that back of my head kind of wish I had gotten to see, he had gotten to see it through himself and finish it out. Uh, but I think we still got the book that he wanted to write. Uh, Brandon did an outstanding job and it really uh, all comes together at the end in a wonderful way. Um, very satisfying conclusion, which we will get to one day. <laughs> one day, so- one, one century. So, so Stephen, you're definitely going to be our guru for uh, these discussions. I think you know more, um, not just about the uh, the content of the books, but a lot more just about the books than uh, the rest of us do. For example, I, I came into the series at the same time that you did, uh, but it was just um, maybe four or five years ago. Uh, I, I was a very slow reader uh, at that time and have been for a long time until very recently, but I, I only made it as far as book nine, I think. And that was just a few years ago that I did that. Then when I heard that the, uh, when, when I heard that the show was coming out, uh, this has been, this it's been in production or at least, you know, being talked about for several years now. Uh, when I heard that the show was coming out, I decided, you know, I don't really remember a lot of the stuff uh, that happened back at the beginning. So I went back and started over with book one. And in my current uh, read through, I'm uh, about three quarters of the way through the fourth book. Uh, hopefully you'll be finished with that before too much longer and can move forward. So, um but yeah, I, I have to say, and I don't think I've read as much fantasy as, as the two of you have, uh, but I've read read a, a little bit. Um, I'm looking forward to actually finishing this series and finding out what actually happens. 
I'm I'm excited to start uh uh I call it epic fantasy, but I like the I like the term high fantasy. I'm excited to start a series that's so popular that's actually complete. Um so I guess unlike both of you, I've only started uh really reading the series two weeks ago. <laughs> so but it's always been on my list because I'm sure I'm not the only person here, listeners included, who's a victim of Patrick Rothfuss and uh, the whole name of the, I call it the name of the wind scandal um, because that book was amazing. It's amazing. Like the feelings I felt, I always tell people, hey, give it a chance up to 14% into your Kindle. And like, it's like, it'll just, the feelings that will come through you and it's going to be amazing. So he kind of lured us in gave us book one, gave us book two, and then 10, 11 years later, we still, he's, he's on Twitch just playing video games. So, you know, he, he kind of hurt all of our feelings. So for me, whenever I get addicted to a book and I can't have access to the next book, I just start trying to find a fix somewhere. So that's how I got into Brandon Sanderson and Joe Abercrombie and uh, all these other um, epic fantasy authors. And Wheel of Time has always just been there. Um, but I just, you know, you always need that one push. I guess that push is Stephen coming over to us saying that, hey, let's start a podcast about the Wheel of Time. I have to say, I am so new to this series, actually, and I haven't admitted this to you guys. I actually don't even know what the Wheel of Time actually is about because the version that I have from Amazon here, like the actual paperback version, it doesn't even have a description in the back of the book. All I know is that this has, only thing I know about Wheel of Time is that if you're a big fan of uh, epic fantasy, this is the goal, like the holy grail. And uh, it has a huge following and it has tons of books within the series. And that's basically all, all I need to, to become motivated. So I don't even know what the Wheel of Time actually is about. And <laughs> that's what's exciting uh, about this podcast. Well, you have about as much information as I had when I started it. Um, so there was no real description on the back of the book. Um, Nothing. No, not really. Uh, I had this. a little look, bit of it, it an says introduction. Robert Jordan has come to dominate the world. That's the description, guys. That's what's on the back of this book. That doesn't tell me anything about this book. It just says he dominated the world. Oh, just the quote in there on your book. That's it. It says it, it's oh. from Tolkien. Uh, okay. uh, no, it's uh, Robert Jordan has come to dominate the world that Tolkien began to reveal. Oh, there we go. There yeah. we go. The New York Times. From the New York, New York, York Times. Times. Yeah, I love that quote. Yeah. <laughs> How do you know this quote, Stephen? Oh, because I love that book. Oh, my goodness. He knows the quotes. <laughs> he knows the quotes from the reviews. <laughs> and I've, I've listened to and read several interviews with Robert Jordan and uh, that quote is one that has come up before by people that are qu- asking him and uh, talking with him in interviews. So it's one that rings in my mind. <laughs> As also, I am a, we- a big fan of Tolkien. So uh, that that was pretty much the only thing uh, I knew was if you liked Lord of the Rings or Tolkien, this guy was the next, like, you, there's only so much you can get of the Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. And if you yeah. want anything else after that, I was pretty much sold that this was the way to go. Um, it is. The I think next we all step. probably looked up the same thing of if you like this, like for me, it's Stormlight Archive. It's like, if you like, if I like this, what is similar? And Wheel of Time is always number one on the list. Yeah. Yep. Well, I mean, his, his, his world building and 
uh, his just command of story and character and all of that. I mean, it really is uh, as far as, you know, anything since Tolkien, it's really unparalleled. Uh, And again, I, I haven't read as much as you guys, but just what I have read, I mean, it doesn't get much, much stronger than that. I'm so excited. Just like, I'm, I'm so looking forward to this. I need another good epic fantasy, guys. Like, I need this. <laughs> yeah. You well, would be hard pressed to find a more epic in scale fantasy. Uh, you know, you're talking, you were talking about character and things like that. In The Wheel of Time, there are a total of 2,782 named characters. My God. Over the 14 book uh, span. So there's a lot going on in these books. Um, I, th- I don't think many people would argue. Um, I refer to Robert Jordan as the king of world building. And I don't know many people that would argue against it. Uh, he develops a, such a rich and intricate world. Um, it's hard to top it. I also like that he's the favorite author, uh, at least for me, of a lot of my favorite authors. And that <laughs> says something. Yeah. So a lot of people, especially the, uh, the modern fantasy writers, um, you know, just like me and just like Justin, we were kids when these books were coming out. And so they definitely inspired a lot of people, um, you know, and you can see that in a lot of people, a lot of modern fantasy's writings um robert jordan was the first one that really took a step forward from the lord of the rings mythology um up to the point of the wheel of time a lot of fantasy at that time kind of just was retreading it was a lot of dwarves and elves and uh, a lot of what people imagine uh old-fashioned D to be um dragon that kind of stuff so uh robert jordan was the first one to really mainstream anyways anyways move it forward and build off of those tropes into something new and original um and so he gets a lot of uh credit for kind of moving the fantasy genre forward into a new time frame uh and then you know of course other folks will come along after him and continue to do that and to build their own worlds and to to expand the genre we get into the more uh, Grim Dark that comes on, uh, you know, with George R. R. Martin and things like that. Uh, and then you, you know, get more modern fantasy. You get all kinds of different things. But uh, in my opinion, the Wheel of Time is kind of that springboard that leads us from the old high fantasy into the more modern. It is that connecting tissue uh, that I think we have a lot to, uh, uh, lot to gain from the Wheel of Time. It really gets gets the ball rolling on that. So y'all, we have uh, decided we're going to cover the prologues in this episode. Um, So uh, now up until even just recently, I did not realize there were prologues, plural. Uh, So like, I think it was actually Michelle or Justin, one of y'all actually t- was asking a question in our chat when we were talking about doing the podcast. You were like, so yeah, so Ravens. And I was like, Ravens, what is Ravens? And so I had to look it up myself because I've 
my books are all the first editions. And so Ravens was not a part of that original publication. Uh, it is now, if you buy a new copy of the book, it's in there. Um, but it was written and added later. Yeah, I actually, I came across it um, when, when I started rereading uh, the series back with, with uh, the eye of the world, uh, I bought it on Kindle because uh, that's where I do, especially most of my fiction reading. I like to do uh, on my Kindle. It's easier to, you know, hold things like that, but I don't remember that chapter being there. And this was not that long ago that I, I did that, uh, that rereading of the eye of the world. But when I, when we decided we were going to do this podcast, I decided it would probably be a little bit easier uh, as far as referencing uh, different things from the book to have a uh, hard copy. So I bought the paperback from Amazon and opened to the first page, ready to uh, read the prologue that I knew. And lo and behold, there's a completely different one there. So Stephen, that has to be exciting though, yeah, as Stephen, someone who's read the book a million times. Well, I so, was incredibly excited, especially when I found out that it was written by Jordan himself. Right. Uh, that made me so happy. It was like this treasure I got to experience uh, these few weeks ago because it was something by him in this world that I love that I had no idea existed. And I love it. <laughs> now, 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 where does this prologue Ravens originally come from? So originally this was published uh, when they re-released the Wheel of Time split in two. Um, they were targeting younger readers. So it was targeting more that young adult uh, high school age. And so they split the book in half uh, to make it easier, not as daunting, because especially in, in the paperback format back then, it was a pretty chunky book uh, for for what a kid is going to necessarily gravitate towards. Uh, and so they split it in half, and then Robert wrote this second new prologue to attach to the beginning of that first section of the Eye of the World uh, to kind of more introduce the world a little more uh, easily to younger readers. And you know what? I'm just now noticing now, um, looking at, at um, Ravens, <clears throat> that it says earlier um, at the top uh, of, the, of the prologue, because for me, when I was reading through it, um, like reading Ravens plus, you know, the actual prologue, I felt like it was a big spoiler to me, Ravens. Like it just, it just felt like I was reading some, Big and of course, you know, I don't, I don't know what happens in the rest of the series. I've just read the prologues, um, but it just felt like a big spoiler to me. Like, oh, this is what everything culminates to. But now I'm seeing that it says earlier. Mm, yeah. Because didn't it feel like that to you all? I mean, you guys, you guys are familiar. If you if you look at it from a lens of a brand new, you know, Wheel of Time reader, doesn't it feel like it's telling it's basically describing the end of everything like oh this is where we all come to okay uh, I, I i have some some thoughts on this but maybe we should maybe we should kind of break down what happens in this, this prologue first and then talk a little bit about it okay so with ravens uh, we'll start with it and then we'll discuss and then we'll move into the to the uh, original prologue so the way Ravens is pretty much structured is we begin by taking on the perspective of Egwene Alvere. Uh, 
at the the young age of nine years old and read about her experiences as they are shearing the sheep and the men are working on that. The younger children are carrying water about, uh, things of that nature. And the slightly younger boys are (laughs) beginning to shirk off their work. (laughs) Uh, So we're introduced to... uh, this new setting of the two rivers. Uh, And then as she's ruminating, we're noticing the different uh, people that are around the different families, the other children. Uh, We get a slight introduction on them, some interactions between some of the kids. Uh, And then we shift after that into a story. Uh, being told by one of the fathers of one of the children uh, and begins to tell a tale of the past. Uh, And we kind of move forward from there. Uh, We get an introduction here to several characters. Um, We see Egwene, Rand, Matt, and Perrin uh, and introduced to several different concepts and various words that may not necessarily make a lot of sense yet uh and concepts too uh and so then we get this whole feeling of almost it, to me when i read it it almost sounds like you know something you a tale everybody would sit around a campfire and tell uh obviously that's not there's no campfire in this scene but that's just kind of where my mind went uh and so we get a tale of the age of legends uh and then just kind of move in from there. Uh, what did y'all think? What was your first impression when you started reading into this uh, this prologue? So I definitely mispronounced her name. I was thinking um, Egwina. Uh, I'm not even, sh- you, you know, you. <laughs> I was trying, I guess my mind was trying to make sense of her name. I felt like the G wasn't supposed to be there. All right. But, so um... <laughs> welcome, welcome to the Wheel of Time. Uh, pronunciation <laughs> on almost everything is debatable. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so it's it is uh, by glossary and by how it's spoken. Because I've listened to the audiobooks quite a lot, so a lot of my pronunciation comes from that. Um, but think of it as like two words, like eh and then gwain. Like, uh, yeah, so... Uh, but yeah, I definitely, a lot of people I've heard that the Egwini or Igwini or uh, Egwina, it's like, yeah. you, you just, no matter what we do, it's always going to sound ridiculous until, you know, yep. we have the guru come in, come in and tell us exactly how to <laughs> we, pronounce it. We will probably all mispronounce something at oh, some I point. Oh, I do still, even I, now. I, I do it all the time, even though a lot of these names, I know how they should be pronounced when I'm reading it in my head. I still read it the same way I did 20 years ago. Exactly. When I was first reading the series, even though I know better now, it's just hard to break that, that, uh, that habit. Cause it's, it's like, it's like how you were introduced to the character. It's like you, you shook hands with them and they told you like, Hey, my name's Egwina. And then, <laughs> and then you have someone come in and be like, no, no, no. She mispronounced her name. This is actually what it is. So her name, she is actually nine years old because at one point I was thinking, so normally I don't enjoy reading prologues. It's just something about 
in patience because I just want to jump into the chapter. So this really sitting down and slowly reading the prologues is really new to me because sometimes I feel like I speed read through. But really, um, I'm glad I did hear it because it, like, like you said, it kind of gave me a time to just kind of take a breath and really drink in their world. Um, I will say I was really excited to see the word wine spring <laughs> just because you both had mentioned it. So I'm seeing like some some keywords here and there. I was like, oh, wine spring. Yeah. But um, what a life to live where your where your biggest desire is to get a big braid in your hair. <laughs> like that's uh, that's what it all comes down to, just getting that one long braid. Yeah. So yeah. so so you would say? Would you say you you enjoyed the the chapter then? No, I enjoyed the chapter. Okay. Um, because I, I I was feeling as I was reading it, obviously coming to it as you know, I'm personally familiar with these characters. There were several quotes in this chapter. I was telling Stephen earlier before we started recording that I want to mention, but I can't because they might be spoilery. Uh, there were several things that stood out to me that I, I, as one who has read some more, know that it has a little bit more of a meaning. But as I was reading, I kind of, I kind of felt like to me, uh, I don't really know how this works as an opening chapter for me because there's really not a whole lot that happens. I mean, you get introduced to these characters and if you're familiar with them, I think, great, you get to know a little bit more about them. That's why I think it would work in its original setting as the prologue to the second half of the book when it was published in that way. But I, I was asking myself, for the most part, with the exception of the uh, the story at the end about the Age of Legends and the dragon yeah. and all of that, with the exception of that, I had to ask myself, if, if this was my initial introduction to the series, would I keep reading it? Now, I do think that, that Tam Althor's story uh, does kind of whet our appetite a little bit to know a little bit more about this, this history, this backstory. And that does kind of lead into the next chapter. Uh, one thing that I was thinking, and I know this is going to be released well after the TV series was aired, I, even though I don't know that it works as an opening chapter, I think it would work as a soft opening for the TV series. Like you see the characters, you know, when they're kids, they come together and they hear the story and then you fade from that story into the next chapter, the prologue of Dragon Mount. I think that could work. But it just, to me, there was, if you didn't know these characters, I, I wonder uh, in some cases if you would be inspired to keep on reading. Yeah. I would say yes, though, just because it's a prologue. So for me, I always have low expectations for prologues for this reason. Uh, just because they tend to be slow, they sometimes tend to be feel a little out of place. Um, I, I feel like, uh, what's the next one called? You said it was Dragon Mount? Dragon Mount. Dragon Mount as a prologue is more exciting to me, yes. uh, just because it had, you know, action. But um, I usually don't judge the book necessarily by the prologue, more so like the first two chapters. So I wouldn't have stopped just because of, but I, I, I agree with you though, just because it is really slow. We have a little girl fetching water, trying to act like she's a grown-up. Little boys, they're, they're so simple, just running around, aspiring to go to the other side of the mountain. Men sharing sheep. I mean, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty simple. <laughs> so I, I, would, I do understand that 
it's it's not really eye-catching until like towards the end and and the ravens of course because uh, i was trying to figure out what's going on like with the ravens that keep on staring the children down um but we never really expanded on that should yeah, we talk I, oh, go I ahead think, i think in my opinion uh, as much as i enjoy ravens i think if i was the one publishing the new editions of of the eye of the world i would probably try to work it in somewhere not necessarily in the middle of the book but i would maybe work it in further in um because i think it has a lot more power and a lot more uh like an interlude yeah i think it would work better as an interlude as opposed to a prologue uh because it 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 has things in it that are going to have a lot more impact once you know who some of the characters are um going you know it's a flashback before we've had the present so it's a flashback yeah because it just for some reason it just felt like a spoiler to me maybe it's because i i guess we can kind of roll into dragon mount a little bit um because towards the end they were talking about um you know the story of the dark one and you know it, dark one kind of reminded me of voldemort because the way they all reacted to dark one is like the same i'm like so this is he who must not be named uh basically the way uh i, I started laughing when uh of course i'm gonna butcher this name sen boo sen bui hey uh, you got it right the second time sen did i do it sen bui yes yep. <laughs> i feel great <laughs> Uh, so I laughed at because he, he I think he said something about uh, the dark one and then Sen Bui just started spitting and Egg, Egg, is her name Egwin? Egwene. Egwene. She started like she was so mortified. <laughs> the fact that he's I'm like this is so I'm like it just felt so out of place. But I, I um but uh, hearing about the dark one and that story and then moving on to Dragon Mount. I was like, oh, is so is is Ravens the end of everything, basically? Because, mm. um, you know, we're reading Dragon Mount and these are the characters that they were basically talking about at the end of that, you know, at, at that story. And this story is supposed to be something that happened um, like years and years ago. So that's kind of what confused me a little bit um, when I was reading it. Like, oh, is this the ending? Like, is this is this what everything comes down to? Um, so that's that's kind of like what my thoughts were. Um, after reading the the actual prologue, it'll all be more clear in time. Yep. Well, I, I think before we leave this chapter, I, I would think maybe we need to talk about the namesake of the chapter, uh, the Ravens themselves. <laughs> so. Yeah. What do y'all think about them, uh, Michelle? What did you think? Um. At first, um, and this is just because of you know you read all these different fantasy books. The one thing I always think, just because the Ravens were staring them down so much, um, one thing that had popped into my mind was like, um, first I thought like, oh, okay, so is something tragic about to happen? Uh, is, is someone like, are they about to get annihilated? And then the second thought was, are, are these like someone, are these Ravens actual people in Raven form? Um, just kind of like, it, it, it just, um, it, it didn't feel no matter what, it didn't feel like a positive thing, uh, the presence of the Ravens and the fact that the numbers kept on growing. I was really expecting a, a massacre at the end, not a, not a fireside chat um, <laughs> of everyone talking about stories of the past. So that is what kind of surprised me. Um, I, I thought actually at one point, 
I thought that the mayor had sent the Ravens down to watch the boys to spy on what they were doing. Um, so, you know, you start coming up with all these different stories in your mind of like, okay, that's what these Ravens are for. And then at the end, it's like, we didn't even really talk about it. Like nothing kind of, nothing came of it. Yeah, they were, they were just kind of there and you know that they're there, but it's, you don't really know why they're there. Uh, there is some like mention, ever. there is some mention, I think it's on page two about uh, some people say that Ravens are the dark one's eyes or, or something like that. But other than that, they, it, all you know is, you know, first of all, their numbers keep growing. Uh, you start out, there's just one, then there's a few more, and then there's a whole flock of them. And you know that it makes uh, Egwene uncomfortable when she looks up and sees them, uh, you know. Again, coming back to that chapter, I went. That, that's actually a good point because I agree with her where she says, "What would the dark one want to see in the two rivers? Nothing ever happened in the two rivers." Because I felt the same way. I think that that thought actually crossed my mind at one point. Like, what's the point? Like, why are you a, watching these kids? Just a quaint little little village town. Nothing ever happens here. With sheep, you know. Yeah, uh, I, I will say that these books are the reason that I hate crows. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, I think I think that goes back to reading them initially and this idea of ravens and I know they're not exactly the same but they're in the same family but ravens being the dark one's eyes now I, I see a crow out my window and I wonder you know uh, who's spying on me out there you know something like that um, it did feel like a spy though and I, I, I got I did get intrigued towards the end um I, I keep on forgetting their names, but the father that was telling the story, um, I was wondering, I'm like, what is your story? Like, why are you reacting this way? It felt like he'd experienced something um, in the past. And, and it, it's, it's kind of, it kind of felt like he'd kind of witnessed some of what he was talking about firsthand. Like this wasn't new to him, oddly yeah. enough, but I, I mean, of course I don't know, so, but that's what it felt so like. So you're saying he's telling a story and he actually says that the, the story takes place, uh, over three thousand years ago. So do you exactly. think you think he was there three thousand years it, ago? I'm, I, I'm wondering. It just it felt like this is something that he's kind of experienced. I I don't want to say it because the story. The thing with this book also that I noticed with this chapter is sometimes when you go into other fantasy series, you can tell like this is a completely different world, and we have different uh you know um, species or races of people. You know what I mean? Where it's like, okay, like some of these people are super, um, like with, with Malazan, you know, where it's like we have su like completely different races of people and everything. But these people just seem so mundane that I'm like, how could he have been there from 3,000 years ago? But it just felt like he knew some of these, um, knew some of what he was talking about personally, like the dark one, you know, in particular. Um, that's just kind of the interpretation I, I got when he was telling the story. Yeah. And, okay. and I, th I think you're meant to get that, though, because we have a uh, I actually wrote down a quote. It's, a, I guess, a, a thought from from Egwene on page 19. And she said or she thought, why would Rand's father know stories like that if her father did not? So exactly. I think we are supposed to get that that sense about him that there's there's more to the story that we don't know. Yeah. And. Why did her father even want Rand, um, Rand's father to even tell this story? That was the other question I had in my head. Like, you called the boys over for this very reason. And it seemed so 
out of the ordinary. Like you called these, it seemed like, I thought he was calling them over because it seemed like someone had told on them. Like it seemed like they were about to get admonished for not doing their work. But instead it's, oh, let me reward you guys with this great story. And it's like he has insisted that his um, father or that uh, Rand's father tell this story. So that was kind of interesting to me. I think, at least for me, when I read it, it seems like the mayor is, I don't think it's as simple as he just decided he was going to reward them. I think he really did see that they weren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, that they were shirking off. And in a kind way, I think he's kind of using this chance of telling them the story. They get all excited and everything to kind of steer them back to doing what they're supposed to be doing. You know, Mm. they're, they're distracted, they're bored. So he gives them something to think about and to daydream about before he then splits them up and sends them back to their work. Uh, So it's kind of like giving a carrot before the stick. Huh, okay. That's uh, that's an interesting thought, yeah. So, and I think it's just a matter of uh, the story that the boys wanted to hear. Uh, Tam had the story they wanted to hear. I think that's why he's the one that tells it. Other than that, I don't think it was necessarily like that was set out in, ahead of time. I think it's just they ask for certain things and the story that had those things in it, Tam knew it better. And so, um, and it seemed like it was taboo, the story. <laughs> Everyone's reaction to it, it just seemed like this is not a story you're supposed to be telling the children. Um, that It just kind of threw me off this last, it just didn't seem to fit. Like, where is this coming from? So then I, once again, I was waiting for something to happen happen with the Ravens. Cause I'm like, okay, he's telling the story. Now we're going to see what's happening. And then it just kind of ended. It's like, okay, guys, back to work. And, uh, and that was it. So what what do y'all think of the story itself? Um, I I was kind of rolling my eyes at everyone's reaction. Um, it's it's you know I, I tend to kind of put myself. Uh, I, I'm sure every every reader does this. You you kind of imagine the world while you're reading it, and I I kind of put myself in that situation where I'm sitting around listening to him tell the story, and I'm just like I, I want to tell everyone like hey calm down like stop being so dramatic. It seemed like a, it seemed like a, it, it, it didn't really, I didn't really feel too much when I was listening to it. It just sounded like a story of the past. Um, but it also sounded like everyone had a misinterpretation of who, um, I forgot what his name was, um, Lou, uh, Lou Theron uh, Telemann, um, who he was, because it seems like he has a bad reputation, but in reality, he's the hero. Um, and that is something else that I was wondering about. Like, why does Rand's father know the truth about this particular person? Um, but that's how I, that's, that's the only thing I felt. Because you can tell that this is the story that he's telling is not what anybody else believes or had learned about. Like, he's telling something completely different. Yep. Justin, what did you think of it? Well, I, I'm, uh, and again, this is coming at it with, some experience with the story. I think it did um, lead well into the next prologue, the original prologue, because you, you get some of the story about this particular character. And then if you keep reading, Oh, here's loose there and tell again. 
and we're getting a little bit more of the story that Tam started in in the Ravens chapter. So I think it works well in that way. It kind of leads into what's coming. Oh, I agreed. I got and, really excited in the next prologue when I saw his name again. I was like, oh, that's what we're talking about. Here we yeah. are. So it works really well for that. It actually causes excitement for the next prologue yeah. just because now we're back in this story. Um, I felt like the next prologue, Dragon Mount, was actually really kind of creepy. I don't know what, what you guys felt about it, but I, I was kind of creeped out. So that is something you will notice as the, you get into the series. There are definitely um, horror elements that right? uh, Jordan works into this. There are genuinely terrifying things that will happen. And there's definitely a lot of times a very uh, palpable sense of like foreboding and uh, almost scariness to some of the uh, things that oh, will happen. It's so creepy when he was shouting <laughs> for his wife. And oh my god, and he's stepping over the body of this woman. And I'm like, oh my god, is he stepping over his like what's going on here? Because clearly this guy is dazed. Um, because yeah. I mean that's what Dragon Mount starts out with. Like this this castle is shaking and everything's just um destroyed, and he's shouting for his wife. And you can tell they didn't say it inside the book, but you can tell he probably had the crazy eyes on. You know what I mean? Where it's like you have the fake hap the dazed happiness, and you're just shouting for your, you know, like. Ileana, my love, where are you? That really just the fact that it's chaos all around and he can't seem to notice it and he's shouting happily for his wife and clearly that must be her body on the ground. That really, for some reason, really creeped me out. Well, I guess with that, let's move into that prologue. Um, if y'all don't have any other comments about Ravens, we'll move on to Dragon Mount. Yeah, let's let's move. Let's keep moving. Okay, so. Like you said, we enter uh, Dragon Mount in a much more dramatic fashion. Uh, it's no slow start like you do with uh, Ravens. Instead, you start with a uh, palace that is shaking, bodies all over the place, and a man stumbling around almost in a daze, uh, stumbling over bodies, searching for his wife. Uh, and then we kind of go from there, and things sure get interesting quick. Uh, so first off, he's all by himself, and then, uh, all of a sudden, the air behind him ripples, shimmers, mm. and solidifies into another person. Uh, oh. and, and so he's stumbling and wandering, and then, wham, somebody else is there. And I don't even think he notices it first, and then all of a sudden he does when he's confronted with them, and... We just get this interesting back and forth uh, between the two of them. Uh, so what is y'all's first impression when you first started into Dragon Mount? Because I know mine, uh, I love this prologue, but I want to hear uh, y'all's opinions, especially Michelle, yours is coming at it from with such fresh eyes. What did I'm you excited think? For it. I, it? I loved it. It was, it, we started off with action finally you know what I mean? It wasn't anything. It actually made me want to know exactly what happened here. Because uh, we, we just kind of start off in the middle of chaos. So finally, you know, we're, we're getting some drama. I was creeped out, which I appreciated. <laughs> so I, so it, it actually made me want to keep on reading the series. This is actually different from other prologues that I've read in the past. Uh, and, and that we're just kind of getting thrown into some action. Um, one name that I didn't recognize from the previous chapter 
um, or the previous prologue was Elon Morin. Um, because I, I didn't hear who he was. So I wasn't, I, I didn't really have any much of a, re- I, I didn't understand where he was in this, but of course I, I'm assuming he's supposed to be, you know, the bad guy, the villain. Um, but I was wondering what had happened to, um, to uh, Telemann um, just because like, wh- why, why doesn't he remember what happened? He's so dazed. Uh, clearly something has happened to him here and we don't really find out, do we? Oh, we do. Uh, just a little further into the chapter, we find out exactly what's going on with him. Uh, at least for the most part, not the full breadth of it, but uh, yeah, that's what I was looking for—the full breadth yeah. of it. But of course, you don't yeah. you don't get that all in one prologue. We have to—I guess—we have to read the book, of course. Yeah, we, we get we get hints and clues about what's going on. I really picked up. On you know, and y'all have mentioned well, just his his attitude through at least uh, until um, uh, the other man appears. You know, he's just almost almost seems like happy go lucky about everything. He's just in a a bri- almost like he's in a bright, cheery mood, ready to celebrate. But but you, the reader, know that there's something wrong that he's not picking up on. Um, and I think that uh, what I really caught out of it was there's a, there's an air of mystery that you know something's not right, you don't really know what's going on, and I think you hit the nail on the the head, Michelle. With I was kind of feeling the same way. I want to know what I want to know more about these these characters. I want to know what's going on here. And it seems like this, so what they were saying, or at least the, you know, the betrayer of hope was saying, it looks like they've had an eternal, like, battle with each other. Um, did I interpret that incorrectly? It seems like they've had this eternal battle with each other, and then someone keeps on, like, resetting the clock. Okay. It seems like he, it's, it reminded me of the butterfly effect, like he's trying to correct some mistake, and and that's, that kind of, because um, I'm wondering, is that... <laughs> Is that, uh, oh, I got excited when I heard, uh, when I finally saw the term, the wheel of time. <laughs> like, it was like a thousand battles with the turning of the wheel. Um, like, are they just continuously restarting this fight? Um, that's what it felt like to me. Like, oh, here we go again. Like, this is it again. And I've caught up to you. So I And think you're I going c- to be aware of what I'm doing. I think I can give you a little clarity on that without actually spoiling anything. Okay. Um, so... Uh, Robert Jordan uh, decided, and he made a conscious decision when he started the series, that okay. uh, he wanted to approach the world in a cyclical nature. Um, so in a lot of Eastern philosophies and things, um, there is this idea that time is a circle, uh, that everything that has happened will happen and has already happened. Uh, it's ah. all a giant loop. Um, and so he decides to uh, represent that by the wheel of time. So think of a, uh, like a metaphor. Yeah, it's a metaphor for this loop of time. Uh, and so the idea is that maybe uh, maybe Elon here is talking about the fact that, you know, it is a loop. They've been uh, experiencing this over and over and over again. Because they said, um, one question that I had was they had talked about, I think it's called Satan. 
Siden. Siden. You know, it reminded me, uh, and I, you guys can you guys can uh, elaborate on this. Um, is this kind of like the time turner in Harry Potter? Is this what you're using when you're trying to go back in time? Because it seems like, it, it, for me, it seemed like the rules of time travel had been broken somehow. Um, you know, where, where you can't go back. So basically the rule of time travel is that if you go back in time, you can only change tiny things because you change anything. If you make too big of a change, you're kind of like cracking. I, it's, it's basically you're, you're breaking the rules. You can cause something. It's kind of like the butterfly effect. Like you'll, you'll cause something terrible to happen down the line if that makes any sense. And that's what this seemed like. Is it like a time turner? Is this what he's using to kind of, I don't know, keep turning this wheel? Okay. So Justin, do you want to chime in here or do you want me to take it? Um, I'm going to let you handle that one, boss. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so let me real quick, let me look here. Um, what, what, instance i'm looking to see exactly the wording because i don't want to spoil anything for you <laughs> all oh. right let's see and then while you're looking it seems like this is all for okay so betrayer of hope i feel like he got wronged some way like he wants uh Telemann to feel the pain that it seems like he feels because he's over here, happy-go-lucky, clearly dazed, and he's insistent, like, you are going to remember exactly what happened here, and you're going to feel all of this. Like, he wanted him to feel the pain that they were experiencing. So part of me is like, has he always been, you know, I guess, quote-unquote evil? Um, I don't. Yeah, I guess we just need the full story, because I don't think that Betrayer of Hope has always been this way. Yeah, um, I think there's a reason he's acting well, like this. I think think just by his name alone you have to kind of read into the idea that at some point he must have been at least pretending to be on the side of good Other well, otherwise okay. he would not have been able otherwise <laughs> why would you be able to call him the betrayer of hope i mean i guess he's because clearly he's a follower of the the great lord of the dark so i i somehow somehow i guess he turned um it's just, you know, that's I, this is a good prologue in that you leave it with a lot of questions, but they're good questions because now you want to read the book to figure out how we got to this point. Like, this is a prologue that actually makes me want to continue the story uh, just to find out what happened in this exact scene um, because there's there's a lot of questions at the end, and rightfully so. And, and I think a lot of those answers are, are revealed um, as we keep reading. Maybe some first may, book. Maybe some a little bit further down the line, but I think some of it, Stephen, I think some of it might be revealed uh, throughout this book. Some of it, uh, and more than you think at first, anyways. Uh, <clears throat> so there's a lot of stuff that is revealed that you don't even realize is revealed when it's revealed. If that all made sense, <laughs> you don't realize it's revealed when it's revealed. Yep. This has to be uh, so painful to not give spoilers. Uh, it's, it is hard. <laughs> and, and, a, and then a part of me is like, no, give the spoilers. Give the spoilers. Tell me what happens. So without <laughs> without giving uh, away much, I think I can say this at least. 
Um, so you were asking about Sidene. Yes. Um, so Sidene, um, without going into too much, just think of it as magic. Okay. Um, and so yeah. it is a magic that he can use. Um, and it is that magic that uh, it's basically like saying it is the magic that runs the universe, like okay. uh, the cosmic energy. Um, and so okay. he's able to drop tap into that. So it is the magic that uh, he says it, it moves the wheel of time. Um, it is basically like saying it's, you know, it's almost like an equated to like an, like a force, like it's gravity. It is the force that causes time to go. This is um, so funny because you said that he was that Robert Jordan inspired like Brandon Sanderson and other authors. And I can see like this exact concept is in, you know, Malazan. This is the this, this same concept is in Star Stormlight Archives as well. You know, this force that people can use, um, basically, I guess, the magic. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I, I understand this completely. Do you believe, well, you, you would probably know, is this why he's so dazed? Is he overusing this? Okay, so with regards to why he is dazed and what is happening, um, so they do get into that. Um, let's see, I'm looking for the exact line. Ah, okay, so um, right after... Uh, the air ripples and Elon emerges behind Luz Theron. Um, just a little further down that page, uh, Elon is noticing how crazy he's acting and and what and notices the look on his face and everything. And he says, uh, "The quote is, Shaitan take you. Does the taint already have you so far in its grip?" Yes. Um, so what we can see there is so whatever is is happening with him right now it's caused by that taint um shaitan and i can tell you this without giving any spoilers shaitan is the name of the dark one so like oh. you, you talked about uh how you thought the dark one was kind of like voldemort well shaitan is the proper name for the dark one uh, and you can see that uh, right after his reactions. Yeah, he's you must not say that name. It is a dangerous. It's like it was enough. Him saying that name was enough to shock him into reality for, you know, a millisecond. Yeah. And then uh, further on, uh, you know, just a little bit longer in there, he Elon actually takes pity on him almost. Yes. And and then uses his power, um, which is something different, he says, than uh, the magic that Luz Theron would use, different than Sidene, to heal his mind. And that's when you kind of see this... Uh, it's like, for the first part of the prologue, Luz Theron has been wandering around in a daze, almost with like a veil of uh, madness over his eyes, not really understanding what was happening, just kind of going through motions and seeing things that, you know, not understanding what he was seeing. And I disagree there, though. I don't think he did this because he felt pity for him. I think he did this because of the fact that he's wandering around in this daze. 
he I, I think he only healed him a little bit so that he can sit and wallow in misery. Oh, I agree completely. Uh yeah, I think yeah, there's definitely a vindictiveness to the healing that happens mm-hmm. here. It wasn't anything uh, positive for that healing. It was just it was no. just no no no, you're not gonna sit here in a daze. L- yeah. Let me give you some of your mind back. Yep. So he wants him, you know, it's it's the thing of rivals. He wants it's no fun to come and gloat at, yes. at winning and, and beating someone if they don't know you're there or who you are or why you're gloating. Uh, and so he wants to heal him enough, not to make his life better, but to make but it to so taunt he him. Can, yeah, so he can enjoy it. <laughs> uh, which I which I understand. If you're going to be an evil villain, you want to you want to do it right. I, I can't I can't taunt you if you're going to wander around here, um, just with this dumb smile on your face. Um, but it seemed like I'm like, does he have a, a some kind of great power that he can't control? Because clearly he's the one who killed his wife. So I'm wondering if he loses control. Justin, do you want to uh, take this one or do you well, want me to? I, I think and I think we we're maybe kind of given that hint uh, that this was something. Obviously, it was something that. Either he didn't know he was doing when he did it, or at the very least, there was a there came a point when he didn't remember what had happened and was so kind of lost in his madness that when he came back, uh, he didn't even see the people lying there. I mean, he I think at one point he literally steps over uh, Ileana's body and not even knowing that she's there. And it's not until he's head is cleared up a little bit that he finally realizes who it was so um i don't think he even knew it was a body he just he right. like he stepped over a, a right. log or something right he, he is completely oblivious to everything that's around him uh at first and you know what i was thinking i was like yes please more of this horror i like this <laughs> like please continue to creep me out um, but I'm saving my sympathy until later in the book because I'm not I'm not going to give sympathy to anyone who potentially is is crazy evil and it's just you know what I mean so because yeah, I, I technically don't know what's going on with him but I but like I said earlier for Ravens um it did it did make me question Rand's father even more of like how does he know what happened this far back um and and I am still curious about these Ravens um. I don't know, just, it, it, yeah, it, it just builds more questions, but in a good way, because um, now I really need to know what the point of the Ravens were, why does Rand's father know all of this, what fight, what eternal fight are, is the betrayal of of hope and uh, lose Theron in, you know, it's, it's like all these, it's like a check mark of these different questions that I need answered. So well, I think the, the the good news there is we still have nearly 800 pages uh, in this <laughs> book alone. Do. We do, uh, and then thirteen to more to go after that. So I think there's there's plenty of time for those questions to get answered, don't you think? <laughs> there is. Yeah. So I do. I will point out this because some of the questions that you're asking are actually answered in this prologue. Um, so I can give a little bit of insight without spoiling anything for you. Uh, so if you look a little further into the prologue, um, once uh, Luz Theron's mind has been healed quote-unquote, by Elon, uh, he lashes out, uh, he realizes his wife is down there at his feet, 
uh, at first he thinks that Elon must have done this, yes. this horrible thing. And then Elon is like, no, not me, Kinslayer. Uh, and then he tries to tempt uh, Luz Theron by saying that the great lord of the dark, the dark one, could make her live again if he will just serve Aww. him. Uh, and then they go into a whole little spiel here uh, that Luz Theron has said that they've been fighting for 10 years. And Elon says, 10 years? You're, you pitiful fool. This war has not lasted 10 years, but since the beginning of time. Uh, and they go into a little bit about the wheel. Um, but then after that, uh, he, you know, he's continuing to blame the betrayer for Liliana's death and how he's going to destroy him beyond anything his master can resurrect or repair. And then Elon er- interrupts him and says, remember, you fool. Remember your futile attack on the great Lord of the dark. Remember his counterstroke. Remember even now the hundred companions, which we actually heard about in yes. uh, Ravens are tearing the world apart every day. A hundred men more join them. What hand slew Ileana sun hair Kinslayer? Not mine, not mine. What hand struck down every life that bore a drop of your blood. Everyone who loved you, everyone you loved. Not mine, Kinslayer. Not mine. Remember and know the price of opposing Shaitan. So what has what he's talking about here is so if you remember back in Ravens, Luce Theron led the hundred companions to go and try and uh, reseal the Dark One's prison uh, to seal him away from the world. What they're talking about here is when they did that. Uh, before he was sealed away, he struck back. And what he did is that he tainted oh. Sidene. So he he put a... Uh, oh, a like taint, a curse. Yeah, on the magic that Luz Theron and the other men were using. And that taint drove them mad. Oh, like that last bit of revenge. Yeah. So they've succeeded in what they were trying to do. But right before they succeeded, he lashed out with his dark powers and basically cursed all of them. And so uh, it, by trying to touch, basically the idea is anytime they try and reach out for their magic, they have to go through his his curse, his taint. And it slowly like seeps into them and that's what caused that state he was in when you first meet him here wow Uh, and so Elon has healed it probably temporarily just to let him see what he's done uh how basically his entire bloodline his children his wife everyone he's ever loved and known are all laying there dead by his own hand that is fantastic villain behavior um if anyone want like in like this is a lesson to us all if anyone wanted to seal us away to just go ahead and <laughs> cause some kind of cake so this is great um thanks for the explanation this all makes so much sense now um wow that's that is fantastic so in the end though it seems like he disappeared so basically he used um he used it again so are you talking about uh, Luz Theron seems to disappear? Yeah, yeah, he disappeared. 
Okay. Um, let me uh, let me see. Yeah, he 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 basically. It's like the betrayer of hope said. He's, he's like, you know, you can't escape so easily. But he did. He he went somewhere. He's gone now. Um, and I'm wondering, did he use that magic again? So, um, with reference to that, we can look. Um, and I, because I'm looking at it in a PDF format right now, I can't give you a page number. Um, but basically, once he's confronted with all of this, uh, he. Uh, reaches out it says desperately he reached out to the true source to tainted sidine and he traveled so he flees the palace magically so he reaches out to that tainted magic uses it to travel away from where he's at to this desolate and uninhabited place and then uh he's basically he's he's praying to the light uh the light you know there's the dark one, and then he is now calling out to the light. Uh, and he's touching Sidene, that, that male half of the power that drives the universe, that turns the wheel of time. He could feel the taint touching him as he reached out to it. That tainted counterstroke, the taint that would doom the world. And he then pulls deep... So think of it like... Uh, so... Think of it like he's pulling water through a hose and he has a cup that uh, is, you know, certain, like say he has a cup that's eight ounces and he can fill up that cup and then he can use that magic that's filling the cup. Think of it like that. So he fills up his eight ounce cup, uses those eight ounces, can pull more in, use that. But instead he just starts drawing it all in. So this oh. in, infinite amount of magical power, he just starts pouring it into himself. Um, and it says, let's see where the exact, okay. Uh, so he drew on the true source deeply and still more deeply, like a man dying of thirst. Quickly, he had drawn more of the one power than he could channel unaided. His skin felt as if it was a flame. Straining, he forced himself to draw more. And he tried to draw it all. He screams out, light, forgive me. And then basically, like, he's drawn in so much magical power that he can't contain it. And he just, like, basically he goes nuclear. Um, so, so, yeah, so Mike, my, my, I, I was wondering, it, is he basically, did he just destroy himself? Yes. Yeah, basically. that's what it sounds oh. like. He, oh, my goodness. In his grief he basically commits suicide by using the magic and it's so powerful. Basically he calls down lightning from heaven. It like uh, split the earth. Yeah. It splits the earth and just, and changes the entire landscape around him. And then for uh, me, was, it just seemed like he went back in time. Like, I guess I couldn't believe that he actually did that. Yeah. So he draws down enough of the power and unleashes it there. That so he was in an area that was basically this like straight river and a plain, and he was beside the river when he drew in too much of this magic and basically like lost control of it and it destroyed him. But it was so much that magic had to go somewhere, so it goes through him, destroys him, and then travels into the land around him, creating in as basically his funeral pyre. A volcano where none was before so it changes you not tell me that he split the river in two 
No, but he changed the path of the river and created an island in the middle of it. I was, I was going to say, if you, if you said that he, he did all of this and it split into the two rivers, then I, I was just going to flip out right then and there. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm like, this is too much. <laughs> I was going to flip uh, out right then and there. No, but he, uh, he creates basically a giant mountain where he was, heaves up from the earth, and this volcano rises up, and it changes this once straight river, and now the river bends and shifts, and there's an island in the still part of the river that's newly formed beside this giant volcano. And that is the end of Luz Theron. If we looked at the map, where is this? Um, or is this too early for the map? No, I can tell you where it is on the map. Um, so, uh, is this oh, the spine? I think I can. Justin, you don't think that's any kind of a spoiler. I don't no, I, I, I've actually got it pulled up. Uh, have you got it open in your book, Michelle? Yeah, yeah, I'm looking at the map right now. Uh, on the, the second half, uh, right almost in the middle of the map, Yeah. Uh, you'll find Dragon Mount. So this is Dragon Mount. Yep. Uh, if I if I'm not mistaken, right? <laughs> yes, it is Dragon Mount because yeah. uh, as they referred to him when Ilan and him were talking earlier, yeah, uh, he called Ilan betrayer of hope, and he said, "Ah, yes, I remember people giving me that name, just like they named you Dragon." So Luz Theron's title that the people of his time gave him was Dragon, and so this mountain volcano that he just created is going to be known as Dragon Mount. Oh my goodness! It all comes together. And and for reference, since since you uh, brought it up, the two rivers is on the other half of the map, so we're we're pretty good distance away from there. Yeah, I just yeah. turned it and realized, like, okay, the nice calm part of the map is on the next page. Yeah. So, so I mean, you could tell it's just it's the it's what is it? It's the it's basically where ravens took place. Right. Right. I think this is like I think this is a good pausing point. Yeah, we're we're kind of, we're kind of running short on time anyway, so maybe we can uh, go ahead and be wrapping it up, don't you think? I think yeah, so. Can, um, this this is more for us to explore. There's so much to talk about. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I can't I can't wait to to start digging into. I mean, I, as uh, I, I can't wait to start digging into it again and and maybe reading it a little bit more carefully than I have before. Same. Yeah. I mean, not like I have before, but reading this more carefully. Right, so, right. Well, as we wrap up, um, I wanted to ask each of you, so final impressions on the prologue, and then Michelle, um, especially since you don't know, for the most part, what's coming next, what are your predictions for where you see things going from the prologues? I'll, I'll start with, with final impressions. Um, I really think, you know, we, we left in a really good place. There is a lot of action, a lot of mystery, and I want to know more. I want to keep reading. For me, I want one clarification because like I said, Ravens, you know, in the very beginning of that prologue, it says earlier, is that earlier than Dragon Mount or is it earlier than the rest of the book? Okay. So I can explain that. Uh, it means earlier than the rest of the book. Yeah, not, not earlier Dragon than Dragon Mount. Mount. No, Dragon man. Mount. Dragon Mount is taking place right after that story that Tam was telling in Ravens. 
Okay. So yeah. this, the events of Dragon Mount happened roughly 3,000 years before the main story. If you're saying that, well, you know, we read in, in Ravens that uh, the Dark Lord watches through the eye of the Raven. Um, I think we're about to get the, because he, he, uh, when um, Luce there and I guess basically killed himself, um, the betrayer of hope basically says, like, you can't escape. Like, this isn't done. Like, we're going to keep on going. And I think it's going to restart. Um, uh, gosh, I keep on forgetting the, it's not the wine spring. Um, you know what I'm talking about, what area this is. Uh, the two rivers. Uh, two rivers. Yeah, this is going to restart in the two rivers. Like, that's where these ravens are coming from. Like, I don't know when, but all of this is going to restart in that area. And I guess these characters are going to be involved. Um, I'm just curious. I, I, one thing I'm always going to be curious about is just Rand's father, like where he kind of plays into this. I'm wondering if Luce Theron has been reincarnated as Rand's father. Hmm. Maybe that's me getting that's maybe that's me getting too deep into it, because um, at this point he's saying that you know you can't escape this. So I'm like, okay, you killed yourself. Maybe you're coming back in a different form each time. I've read another fantasy book in the past, like in the past where this is something that, this is another concept that kept on happening, where it's like these two people kept on meeting during these different eras. Like, it's like they couldn't escape each other. No matter what, they always kind of came back as different people, but like the souls were still there. And um, yeah, so I'm, I'm still, I still have a big question mark over Rand's father. Um, I feel like he's gonna have a huge role in this book. Um, and I think Luce Theron isn't gone. Okay. Those are all outstanding predictions. And I wanted to uh, say something. So you said maybe I'm getting too deep or going too much into it. Yeah, that, it's looking too deep into it. No, that, my friend, is the name of the game with the Wheel of the Time. <laughs> you dig deep. You go deep. I dug deep you, in there. And when you think you've dug deep, you're only hitting the surface. I, wow. <laughs> wow. So that's what I always have to do when I'm reading these books is it's like you kind of look at it like it's a like it's a mystery and I want to find out the truth before the book tells me. So yep. that's my that's my predict prediction for now. So I'll just have to keep on reading. Um, but that's where I'm going with. I think that Rand's father is a reincarnation of something like he might not even know it like something has happened here. And also, I'm suspicious of, oh, I'm going to keep on butchering her name, the mayor. I'm suspicious of him as well. Um, because I, 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 I don't know, I just feel kind of weird that he's the one who kind of pushed Rand's father to tell this story. Um, and I feel like he knew this story, too. Um, so I feel like the, the, um, the mayor is also, uh, something about him is a little bit fishy to me, too. All right. All right. Well, I think we will call it a night here, and uh, I hope everyone out there enjoys our first episode. I know we had a blast talking and recording it, and uh, we will see you all next time. See you guys next time. See you.
and Justin here, and we wanted to once again thank you for joining us for this episode of The Wind Was a Beginning. If you like what you hear, we would love it if you could leave us a rating and a review wherever you heard this podcast. That will help us get the word out to more potential listeners so they can enjoy uh, what we do here as well. You can also email us at thewindwasabeginning at gmail.com. Or you can interact with us on social media, on Twitter at WindBeginning, or on Instagram at TheWindWasABeginning. We're also on YouTube and Facebook at TheWindWasABeginning, a Wheel of Time podcast. We hope you'll come and join us next time as we discuss chapters 1 through 4 of The Eye of the World. We'll see you then.